Greetings and a warm welcome back to the Kurdistan America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dilovan Barwari, and I take pleasure in presenting the seventh episode of our fourth season. Today, we have the honor of hosting Minister Safin Mohsen Dizei, Kurdistan region's top diplomat and a key figure in the Kurdistan Regional Government's ninth cabinet, holding the position of the head of the Department of Foreign Relations. Minister Dizei has an impressive track record. He served as chief of staff to the former KRG prime minister and held key ministerial roles, including spokesperson and head of the Department of Media and Information and Minister of Education. He also held important leadership roles in the Kurdistan Democratic Party, where he served as the KDP representative in Turkey and led the party's foreign relations department. In this episode, our focus centers on Minister Dizay's current visit to Washington. He shares insights into Washington's policy towards Iraq and the Kurdistan region, as well as his assessment of the state affairs between Erbil and Baghdad. Minister Dizay also discusses the challenges confronting Iraq and the Kurdistan region and offers his formula for attaining a more stable Iraq and fostering a stronger Kurdistan region. He also sheds light on the Department of Foreign Relations' future plans. And now, get ready for an engaging conversation as we explore diplomacy and governance with Minister Safin Dizay. Honorable Foreign Minister, Mr. Safin Dizay, Welcome to the Kurdistan and America podcast. We're honored to have you as our guest. Thank you very much. Good evening to you too. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure having you. Let's begin our discussion with your current visit to Washington, D.C. What was the purpose of your visit? Uh, as you know, Kurdistan region of Iraq has a long-standing relation with the United States of America. Um, particularly in 1991, when the exodus of the two million uh, in Kurdistan of Iraq uh, towards the borders with uh, Turkey and Syria uh, in Iran, uh, and uh, the mass exodus led to uh, the deaths of thousands of people who perished in the cold as a result of the exodus and the fear of reprisal from Saddam Hussein's regime and use of chemical weapons. It was the United States and other coalition members, such as Britain and France, who came to the aid of the Kurds, uh, setting up safe haven and no-fly zone and operation provide comfort in order to encourage people to return to, to their homes. So basically, from that moment, this uh, serious relation has commenced and the foundation stones of what we have achieved today were actually late then, which led to the elections of 1992. This relation has been ongoing until 2003, where the regime was changed and uh, the relation became more official by opening the diplomatic mission in Erbil and also having an active uh, office of representation of Kurdistan region here in Washington. So uh, we believe that uh, apart from visits and having mission in, in uh, Erbil and visits from United States to Kurdistan, we believe that KRG should also reciprocate that to come to Washington and to see some of our friends and try to make new friends, to share the current development, to relay our message and to try uh, develop uh, these relations and to explore other avenues, how to develop our relation in various fields. So this was basically the message to relay 
to be relayed uh, that uh, Kurdistan region is an ally of the United States and uh, we want to develop our relations further and exploring other avenues how we can uh, develop these relations. Perfect. So during your visit, you met with officials from the White House, Congress and Department of State, I believe. So what's your overall assessment of Washington's position on the Kurdistan region and Iraq? Uh, the overall um, impression um, that uh, I had from my meetings uh, in all those, uh, uh, with all those uh, uh, departments that you've mentioned, uh, there is uh, a great deal of respect for Kurdistan and people of Kurdistan for their resilience, for their uh, fight against ISIS. There is a great deal of sympathy for uh, the, the work that we have done. Uh, but of course, uh, they want us to uh, make it even better. Um, they want us to expedite the process of reform programs, particularly in the Ministry of Peshmerga Affairs. So the overall feeling, uh, I think it was a positive one. But of course, we also have to understand that uh, there is a shift of uh, focus uh, to a degree from Iraq and the region as a whole uh, due to the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine and, of course, uh, United States' own internal issues and, of course, with China and so on. So uh, we, we shouldn't expect that uh, the focus will always be on Iraq and Kurdistan, but it is not uh, off the radar screen for sure. Your previous visit to Washington was back in 2019, I believe. So how would you compare the U.S. policy towards Iraq and Kurdistan then compared to today? What has changed, in your opinion? Uh, naturally, when I was here in 2019, there was a different administration, and I met uh, different people. Uh, on this occasion, um, in 2023, uh, there is uh, a new administration, or uh, not so new, but uh, uh, for the first time for me to meet with them, uh, as some uh, new faces, but I also met some old faces and old friends. Um, the overall impression is uh, then in 2019, Washington was very concerned by the um, ongoing conflicts in Iraq, such as the demonstrations and the mass rallies and uh, uh, hundreds of people were killed uh, during the former government of, of uh, Mr. Adil Abdul Mahdi. So the concerns were genuine that it lead to uh, instability. But currently with the government of uh, Prime Minister Sudani, I think they seem to be uh, happy and uh, content with it. Uh, by the same token, they are happy with the good relation between Erbil and Baghdad. Very well. So now as we're pivoting to Baghdad, how would you describe Erbil-Baghdad relations today? Um, the relation between uh, Kurdistan regional government or let's say the Prime Minister Masrur Barzani and Prime Minister Sudani, the federal Prime Minister, is good. But uh, does that mean relation between Erbil and Baghdad as a whole is good? I think one can uh, question that um, because a lot of uh, arrangements, agreements have been reached, uh, but unfortunately, um, it hasn't been delivered. So um, the prime minister, we believe that he's a man we can do business with. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, his hands uh, also seem to be tied uh, by some uh, outer circles uh, and, and perhaps um, their intentions or their views may differ to that of the uh, prime minister. 
vis-à-vis -vis Kurdistan. Okay, now, I would like to focus on those groups. There have been some concerns about aggressive actions from certain or some political groups and militias that have attempted to undermine the autonomy and achievements of the Kurdistan region as well as the economy. Could you elaborate the type of elaborate on the type of uh, tactics that they employ to undermine the Kurdistan region? Uh, Kurdistan, since 2003, um, after the regime change and when the first elections and uh, uh, governments were formed in Baghdad, has always tried to benefit from the allocation of budget from Baghdad to Kurdistan and to uh, invest in the development and infrastructure of the region and never wanted to invest in a, a military machine. Unfortunately, in 2014, we saw that uh, the uh, military might of the army that was uh, prepared and with uh, the most modern technology of armament from the United States, uh, it, it fell in the hands of uh, ISIS in Mosul. Uh, so uh, naturally, after that, we had to uh, develop our Peshmerga units and uh, with the support of the international community and the coalition partners, uh, we were able to defeat ISIS. And this training and this efforts are ongoing in order to modernize the Peshmerga uh, forces. Uh, but uh, to be honest, um, as time has gone by, um, more and more um, we see that uh, the authority of uh, Kurdistan uh, has been curtailed. Uh, and there are efforts to, to use legal means. The federal court from time to time gives different interpretation to certain uh, constitutional article which is purely regarding the um, region of Kurdistan and these new interpretations don't seem to be in favor of Kurdistan. Uh, on the uh, oil and gas uh, case, it's uh, uh, three months, uh, uh, four months actually, since uh, uh, oil of Kurdistan has been seized and it's not been exported. So uh, a huge loss, over $3 billion loss uh, to, to the revenue. And uh, needless to say, uh, from time to time, when some militia groups uh, are using drones and uh, katushas and uh, mortars uh, in the fringe areas against the Peshmerga positions and even sometimes uh, installations uh, on refineries. Uh, so these are all a combination of uh, some measures by uh, let's say, groups outside the government who are trying to undermine the authority of Kurdistan and to make uh, the... Uh, and uh, the ongoing negotiations also has been taken for too long, to be honest. The budget law has been passed and still hasn't been implemented, and Kurdistan is not benefiting from any of the oil sales and oil proceeds uh, that comes to the federal um, um, reserves. So you mentioned that the Kurdistan region has been targeted by both drone and rocket attacks in recent years. So what's at stake here? Why should the United States protect the Kurdistan region? Uh, the stability of Iraq is important for sure, not only for Iraqis and the region, but I believe for international community in the United States. Uh, United States invested heavily in Iraq in uh, uh, post-regime change. Unfortunately, with losing over 5,000 men and women in uniform with hundreds of billions of dollars went into this war uh, to uh, have a better Iraq and a stable Iraq, a secure Iraq, a prosperous Iraq. Uh, so it is important to have stability in Iraq uh, so that there will be no need uh, for presence of uh, U.S. Uh, troops of any kind in future. 
but Iraq cannot be stable by itself if the issues with Kurdistan are not being resolved. The cause of uh, or the, the, the Kurds uh, of Iraq have a cause. The, uh, since the foundation of the modern state of Iraq, the people of Kurdistan have been struggling for their rights. And uh, the rights uh, for uh, people of Kurdistan, it's not the case of having two ministers or X number of MPs in the parliament. Uh, we are not bargaining of what we should have and we should not have. We have a cause, and this is being stipulated in the Iraqi constitution within a new Iraq, a federal Iraq, a democratic Iraq. So this uh, uh, new Iraq should be developed, strengthened, and to adhere to the constitution and not to be undermined. Now, undermining the rights of the people of Kurdistan means uh, it brings instability. Uh, so instability in Iraq, uh, it's counterproductive for the entire region. Therefore, it is important for the United States and other coalition partners try to uh, help both sides, Erbil and Baghdad, to come to an amicable solution and to continue with the support that it has been provided for a foreseeable future, particularly in Kurdistan region. So that brings us to the golden question. Obviously, there are a lot of issues, conflicts in Iraq. So the question is, is the current political framework in Iraq working? Or in other words, is there a better solution for a more stable Iraq and a stronger KRG? Um, if you look at the uh, history of the Kurdish movement in, in uh, Iraq, uh, let's say in the early 60s, um, there were talks of decentralization, autonomy, real autonomy, democracy for Iraq, autonomy for Kurdistan. But under all of those arrangements, unfortunately, the people of Kurdistan were still targeted with uh, annihilation, with genocide, with Halabja chemical attacks, with Anfal, and so on. Between 1980 and 1991, quarter of a million of our people perished uh, under different uh, uh, stages and in Anfal and the Fali Kurds and the Barzanis and the Halabja and so on. So uh, really, uh, we seeked a solution that could be a permanent solution. And this is why we felt that more decentralization, more authority, more autonomy in Kurdistan in the form of federalism would be that solution. Today we have that federalism, but it seems that uh, it has been difficult for some to digest it and to accept it, and there are serious efforts to undermine it. So what would be the next step? We certainly um, feel that our friends who helped us to reach this stage to make sure that this federalism or this new concept in Iraq survives. If this doesn't work, as you asked uh, openly and blatantly, uh, bluntly, um, I think uh, perhaps some form of confederation might be a solution in future. So in your view, does the U.S. still have influence in the region? Can it help address regional issues, especially in Iraq and Kurdistan? Uh, U.S., of course, has um, influence. Uh, U.S. has many friends inside Iraq, uh, and it can uh, support um, Iraqis, not necessarily impose ideas, but certainly be with the majority of those who want security, stability, after all, I believe we in Kurdistan and I believe many people in Iraq also uh, share the same values. Uh, so uh, I think uh, uh, it's easier to help those who uh, read from the same page and try to promote peace and stability and security in the region through the people who actually believe in that. Uh, and and uh, Kurdistan is a place, it's a haven, it's a place that has acted 
uh, as a safe haven for uh, many people. In 1991, safe haven was established for the people of Kurdistan to return from the exodus of the mountains. But today, that safe haven is safe haven for many others. Currently, uh, it's a safe haven for one million people who fled uh, Iraq and uh, Syria, uh, uh, including Yazidis, including Christians, and many others. So I think this place, despite the grievances, despite the flaws that we have, uh, I think it's a place worth uh, to be protected, to be promoted, to be developed, and to be supported. I certainly agree with you that the Kurdistan region is the land of coexistence among religious groups and ethnic minorities. It has become a safe haven. Now, since we're talking about Kurdistan, my next question is about elections. It's been over four years since we've held elections, and the federal court has ruled Kurdistan parliament as defunct. What's the problem here? And second, are we going to have elections? Unfortunately, um, it seems that when um, political groups don't do well in election, they blame it on the electoral law. And immediately they want amendment to that law that would probably serve them better in the next round of election. So last year, the debate was a heated debate over the amendment of the electoral law, which uh, initially was not uh, seen eye to eye in order to proceed with the amendment. Later, when all political parties agreed that, okay, uh, amendment can take place and uh, the electoral commission should be activated by the parliament, it was towards the end of the term of the parliament. Therefore, the parliament uh, decided to extend its term so that they would be able to draft a new law or pass a new law and activate the commission to have new elections. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, as you said, uh, uh, this uh, case was uh, forwarded to the federal court and the federal court uh, made the extension illegal, uh, therefore the parliament becoming null and void and defunct. Uh, so we are in a position, uh, if we believe in democracy, we must have an election. An election is a must, therefore uh, all efforts has to be exerted in order to uh, work our way uh, towards uh, having an election. The president, and uh, in the absence of parliament, has certain uh, authorities. He, uh, he uh, and his office has been communicating with uh, the IHAC uh, in Baghdad in order for them to uh, to be able to supervise uh, the elections in Kurdistan. Uh, they have given certain dates which uh, seemingly need not to be convenient since there are uh, mid-February provisional elections and IHAC says that they cannot have two elections run by the same time. The best time that they have given is uh, in February 2024. So within days to come, uh, Kurdistan presidency has to respond to that and fix a date. But there is one uh, other uh, critical matter. Um, apparently, uh, uh, beginning of January uh, 2024, the term of IHAC uh, will expire and it needs to be extended or activated again by the parliament, the federal parliament. Now, whether the federal parliament would do that, but without IHAC, uh, again, we will not be able to uh, have elections. So I hope uh, that will not be uh, a tool uh, uh, to undermine uh, Kurdistan's democracy and uh, its government and its development. Uh, but uh, I think we all, all political parties, 
The government is very keen, adamant. The prime minister has made it clear that all necessary steps and provisions will be made in order to have a fair uh, and free election. Uh, so I sincerely hope that uh, not before long we will have an election uh, uh, with a with a new government in place and uh, for people. As expectations to be met. So are there any expectations that there will be some form of resistance from the political groups within the Kurdistan region against the elections? Or will that be something that the federal government can impose? Uh, no, I think since uh, uh, since uh, elections are not being held and uh, uh, when uh, you know the par- current parliament that has been extended is being called defunct, naturally you need to have an election because you have a government, you have other institutions, uh, so in order to to uh, to continue with the legality of all these institutions, you need to have an election. And I believe there are um, um, key parties uh, or key parties for sure uh, is adamant to have elections and uh, uh, for for uh, all other parties to support it and people of Kurdistan to support it and to go out and vote for it. Very well. Now let's zoom a little bit closer to your own office, the Department of Foreign Relations. In a recent article, you mentioned that the DFR is planning to increase its representations abroad. Can you elaborate on that, please? Um, DFR was established at a time when um, the international relation of the KRG was somewhat limited and the presence of diplomatic missions in Kurdistan was also limited. So uh, since then, uh, there has been uh, numerous numbers of uh, diplomatic missions from various countries and UN agencies uh, established, well established in Kurdistan. And uh, currently, KRG has 14 uh, representative offices uh, in various countries uh, across the globe. So we feel that uh, the uh, framework or the structure of the current DFR needs to be revisited. It needs to be restructured, which we have done so uh, to to make it more up to um, the current uh, circumstances and needs and our communication with uh, various countries and diplomatic missions. By the same token, to increase our presence uh, elsewhere in the world. So definitely, uh, for example, we have six Arab states having their consulate general in Kurdistan, and soon it will be seven. Uh, but uh, KRG has no uh, representation in any Arab country. And the fact that we enjoy extremely good relation with the Arab world, we feel the necessity to have at least one or two representative offices uh, in, in, in uh, Arab countries, including Asia, and of course, neighboring Turkey. So we are uh, working, or we will be working uh, on, on these cases with the hope that uh, uh, the the call from us or the request from us will be reciprocated positively, uh, w- w- which we uh, enables us to uh, open up such representations in, in some friendly countries. Thanks for sharing that. Now, one of the terms that you hear repeatedly from the current cabinet is reform economic reform or reforming the way it operates by establishing a digital government. So is the DFR also planning to reform the way it operates? Uh, When reform uh, is introduced and when uh, the law was passed uh, in the parliament, 
So it covers every government institution, uh, whether administratively, financially, uh, and uh, in terms of uh, its performance. So definitely, yes, DFI is part of that reform, and we have already restructured uh, the uh, DFI, uh, and uh, uh, gradually we will be implementing that. Uh, it will be more like a, a modern institution, uh, and that meets the demands and uh, the interaction with uh, both all the missions that are in Kurdistan and also its communication with uh, the outside world. So yes, indeed, uh, reforms are applicable to DFR too. Your Excellency, would you like to add anything else before we wrap up the interview? Uh, well, uh, thank you very much uh, for the interview. And uh, uh, my last visit was 2019 and two years of COVID. Unfortunately, there was an interruption. Uh, last month, Minister of Interior was visiting Washington. Uh, we hope that uh, there will not be uh, such a long absence in Washington. Uh, we certainly uh, encourage other government ministries or institutions uh, in Kurdistan to visit Washington at various times and various levels and to communicate better. Uh, I thank all those who received us. Uh, I believe uh, the meetings that I had were very candid, very open, very friendly. And uh, uh, I still uh, believe that Kurdistan and people of Kurdistan still enjoy a great deal of sympathy here in Washington. Uh, we have uh, good friends and uh, we rely on their support and thank uh, our office in, in Washington for arranging all the meetings, high-level meetings, good meetings, and uh, every single staff, a small group uh, in the office, but they've done a big job for us. Thank you so much, Your Excellency. We're honored to have you in Washington, and we're grateful for giving us the opportunity for this interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast either on Buzzsprouts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa. USA.